Pray with me. Father, thank you for this Sunday morning that you've given us to come here to this new place of worship and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the precious seed of your word. Help us to receive it with gladness and protect it, allowing it to take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk a little bit today about keeping ourselves uh, in position to receive from God. And a lot of uh, a lot of it, you know, there's an old saying that right believing produces right doing. You know, everything that we do is based on faith of some sort. It's either human faith or or God's faith. <clears throat> but a trusting, a trusting in something, whatever we believe really causes us to act upon those beliefs. You know. And a lot of it has to do not just right doing, but but the right believing, right understanding. A little, a lot of it has to do with like what we were talking about before when we took communion, understanding who we are and what we have in Christ, the authority that has been given us in the name of Jesus. There are spiritual laws, in other words, just like. We have a lot of natural laws that are in place. Gravity is the example that I use a lot. God put it in effect for our benefit. Keep us from flying off the planet. Amen. But if we step off the building, it's not his fault that we didn't have an understanding or we didn't use wisdom or we just made a a bad choice. He wasn't, he didn't, Create that natural law to hurt us, but it will hurt us if we don't cooperate, learn how to to use it properly. The same with electricity. It's a valuable thing to have, but it certainly can kill you. You have to learn how to get along with it, right? The same with the spiritual laws that God has in place. The most recent, I guess, we've been speaking about is the law of sowing and reaping. We just spoke about uh, the, the four types of soil that we sow the seed of the word of God into, which is the, the garden of our hearts. Amen. Amen. But that, that law of sowing and reaping is a spiritual law that God put into place. And he said, as long as this world is here, that law is going to exist. Every seed will produce after its own kind. You'll, you'll get what you, it will produce what you sow, later than you sow, more than you sow. Amen? And that applies not just to physical seeds uh, that we might plant in the ground, but the spiritual seed of God's word. Amen? It also works for everything else that's in our care that we're stewards of, our, our, our love, our, our kindness, our time, our money. 
sow, reap the harvest. Amen? It can work on ungodly things as well, right? When when uh, the ministers that helped Tavana and I grow into the kingdom of God when we were spiritual babies, they were amazed that we were still alive. We got to the point where we could say it jokingly that, man, the devil was surely trying to kill y'all. But, you know, partly we came with some generational curses, both of us did. But, but definitely that wasn't only problems. We had opened every door for the devil to come into our lives. You know? So we were reaping a harvest. And even after we came to the Lord, it took a little while. Because there's, there's seed, there's time, and there's harvest. And we were still reaping a harvest until we could learn how to believe for some crop failure for some of those things. Because you can do that as part of your inheritance. You can cancel some of that stuff out, you know. And then we had to begin to sow the good things. And then learn to believe for a return. You have to sow with expectancy in, in, for the good things. Amen? Amen? And then we had to learn all the things about faith, hope, and love, and how they work together, and there's spiritual laws in place governing all these things for the Christian life. And they're all put there for our benefit. But if we live in rebellion against the truth, because we're living outside of it in some area and we don't want to receive it or whatever the reason is, we're going to continue to have problems there. And we come to the place where, yeah, you know, we can believe for things. There's faith, you know, but it's it's governed by the things that we're hoping for, the godly things. We can't believe for ungodly things and expect God to produce them. They might come. But again, we've invited the wrong team to, to, you know. So the hope that we have for the godly vision and the godly dreams that he puts inside of us gives our faith a target. And then we know that if it's not motivated by love, God's kind of love, not a, not a worldly love that's really just lust or wanting for yourself but the God's kind of love which is giving then it profits us nothing so all these things are are some of the things that we need to understand to keep ourselves in a position to receive from God why because we're, we're trying to be good enough to get God to do some things for us no he's already done it and this is one of the most profitable Truths that a Christian can wrap their mind around because it will help them. It'll take their prayer life and the, and the, 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 the things that they're receiving from God. It'll take it to another level immediately. So a lot of times you can tell people, well, how's, how's the, you know, the way that you're praying or the way that you're believing, how's that working for you? You know, I'm not saying you don't love God, and I'm not saying you you're not complaining. I'm not, whatever, but are you are you receiving the abundant life that Jesus has, wants for you? That He came and died so that you could receive this abundant life, this prosperous life, and a prosperous life for the Christian is not you know is not. I'm, I'm all again. I'm all for 
financial prosperity for the Christian as long as they understand that they're the they're the distributor of the wealth. You know, God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. But just painting a picture for Christians, welcome, come on in. Just to uh, just to think of prosperity along those financial terms, that's not really good. The, the prosperous Christian is one that's at peace. You see, the blessing of the Lord at Makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So you can just be at peace. Peace is really what everyone's looking for. I guarantee you, you can be broke and just be at peace. And and you won't even care. <laughs> Sometimes people long for those days when they were, you know, because they've, they've gotten the things that they wanted and they realize it didn't bring the happiness they were seeking, you see. But as a Christian, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's an abiding fruit of the Spirit of God. No matter what the situations and circumstances, we're above only and not beneath. We can be just like Jesus in the middle of the raging storm, which is the storms and trials and tribulations of our lives. We can be sleeping in the back of the boat. Not worried about a thing. Isn't that a good place to be? But I want to tell you something. Talking about keeping ourselves in position to receive. Because what I was saying is that we're not trying to get God to do something. He's not looking at our behavior. He looked at Jesus' behavior. The whole 33 and a half years. Perfect. And when Jesus said. Man, Father, I wish wish I didn't have to go through with this. He did. <laughs> but not on my will, Father. Yours, yours be done. And he took and he drank that cup, didn't he? That spiritual cup. He, he went through with it, didn't he? He could have called 10,000 angels. Just one could have done the trick, believe me. But he didn't. He died because he saw you and me in his future. He looked beyond the shame of the cross. And he, he did it. And now, everything that God credited Jesus with because of His perfect life and His perfect sacrifice is all credited to your account. It's already been done. We're not trying to get God to heal us. He's already healed us. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Isn't that what Peter said? In 1 Peter 2.24 and in Isaiah 53, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Well, if you were healed, you remain healed. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. If he did it for one, he'll do it for you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're just trying to stand, to rest in what he's already provided. And reject the enemy's attempts to put things on us and take things from us. Knowing who we are and what we have is a wonderful help in that situation. Many churches are teaching people erroneously that God has done things to them to teach them things and all this terrible stuff. It's lies. And so they're crediting God with the things the devil is doing and it causes people to get angry with God and run to the devil. The one who's really trying to destroy them. Instead of the one who loves them and knows them. And knows them and loves them anyway. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. But here's a point I want to make. Unforgiveness 
is not an option for believers. We need to take it off the table. People don't understand forgiveness in large part, and so they think that it's too much to ask. But forgiveness does not mean approval of anything that anyone has done. People do bad things. And God doesn't miss anything. What he's saying is, will you just give it to me and trust that I will deal with it in my way, in my time. I don't miss anything. And by doing that, it's going to take you out of this prison cell of your own creation and free you up to live the life of peace and joy that I've called you to. It's as simple as that. I want to read something from Matthew chapter 18. The 21st verse through the 35th. This is a parable that Jesus told talking about this very subject. Okay? It's Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35. And then Peter came up and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how often will... I love Peter because he makes me feel better about myself all the time. He, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? <laughs> I listened, the law was three. <laughs> so Peter was trying to impress Jesus. He said, I'll double it and add one. Surely that'll get some, you know. It didn't, it didn't impress him at all. Jesus said no. He said to him, I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And in other places, seven, seven times 70. In other words, <clears throat> limitless. There's not, a, there's not a limit. And in another gospel, this is the only place... You know, he sent the disciples out to heal, open blind eyes and heal the sick and raise the dead and and all these things. And they just went gladly. But when they told him that he had they had to forgive all the time, he said, Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) Because this is one of the greatest draws on our faith as a Christian to forgive when everybody, you know, would stand behind you and say, hey, you're entitled to respond to that. You don't have to put up with that. Well, Jesus says, yeah, you do. Doesn't mean you have to accept it. And trust has nothing to do with forgiveness. Trust has to be earned. It's not freely given. If you just trust everybody, you're naive. And you're going to be taken advantage of. So it's, it's important that we understand the difference. But it's not, it's not letting it go. It's letting, it, letting God handle it. And he's much better. So anyway. Therefore, he says, he tells, a, kingdom, he tells a, a parable. He tells him, no, you have to forgive much more than that. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this. A king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was about a lifetime's wage, let's say. 
And so he owed him millions or billions, you know, millionaires are so common. Let's say billions of dollars. And he didn't have any money, okay? And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Obviously, he couldn't do that, but he was begging for mercy, wasn't he? And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, Jesus is comparing this to the kingdom of God. So the king is God, is him, and you're the servant. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a few bucks. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. (laughs) So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Now, this is something he probably could repay. And I will pay you. He refused (laughs) and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. Back then they had debtors prison. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As always, Jesus said it best. It's not an option, is it? Based on what Jesus just said right there, we don't have the luxury of unforgiveness and what's he basing it on until you've done until you've forgiven as much as i have and done what i did for you because we need to understand that the bible teaches us that if we if we fail at just one point of the law okay so let's just take it in a in a a group of 10 the the big 10 right Do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery. And then take how Jesus expounded on those regulations and said, oh, wait, it's much tougher than you even think. Have you ever even been mad enough at your brother to kill him? Then you've committed murder. Have you even looked at a woman with lust? Then you've committed adultery. I mean, it's like, what? Then who in the world is safe? Nobody. That's what he's trying to say. We're all guilty in God's eyes. And without Jesus. So the point is we better have lived a perfect life. Just like Jesus did. Or have a savior that did. Amen. And because we have that savior. We're credited with his goodness. Not our own. And because he's come in. And and changed us. Now we have the ability. Because we've been changed. And we've lost that sin nature that we came with because the seed was corrupted all the way from the garden. And then Jesus came in and expelled that and renewed our spirit and sealed it so it's incorruptible. So one third of our salvation is done. We have the very mind of Christ and we have the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. 
God could have thrown us away. Completely thrown us away. Just for one crack. Remember how I tell you they pressurized those big pipes with water just to test them before they put them into use. And if there's a, a little crack in it, you know, it's, it, it reveals that crack. It doesn't cause that crack. But in one little crack like that, God could have thrown us away because He's holy and He can't have that sin in His sight. And He would be entitled because the Bible tells us if we fell at just one point of the law, we're guilty of it all. So everyone's guilty, right? But God didn't throw us away, did He? He, he provided a way, a way back at a great cost, I might add. And so He's saying, listen, this unforgiveness stuff... Is not an option for you anymore if you if you've taken the free gift of salvation that I've given you. So people make mistakes, and some of them are terrible. But love and mercy and forgiveness is what God seeks. Hosea six six, God says, "For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings." He said, "My people are perishing for a lack of knowledge because they don't know me well." And that's true, even even amongst church settings where they're being taught wrong. Like I said, people are being taught that God is the offender and He's the one putting things. In. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times before I really knew the Lord and and He taught me the truth about Himself and how He had taken such a bad rap and how He really loves us and He's only good. That I heard people say silly things. You'd see a young woman like like y'all at a funeral where her husband had been taken away, you know, and people blaming God for that. Now, how is that woman supposed to be head over heels in love with a God who would take a young husband from her so soon? Well, let me tell you, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. The devil did it. It's a fallen world. Bad things happen to good people. But God is not the cause of that. He's God of life, not of death. Matthew 12, 7 says, If only you had known the meaning of I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. What's he talking about? He had his disciples with him and they were hungry on a Sunday and on a Saturday, the Sabbath, and they were just got some grain out of the field and they're eating it. And these religious <laughs> leaders are like, look, they're breaking the law. They're working on Sunday, right? Golly. And so they were trying to... He told them, you, you were outwardly, you've washed the cup, but on the inside, the cup is filthy. That's you. <laughs> That's what he told these religious leaders. Because they did everything outwardly, very religious. Minor. Well, religion doesn't save anybody. Relationship does. With the God who loves you, with Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a, there's a good example of, of this, this lesson, I think, in um, a Japanese um, custom called Kintsugi. Everyone ever heard of that? Anyone ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. I know you have. Kintsugi, it, it means golden joinery. It's also known as uh, Kintsugiroi which would be golden repair. It's the art that the Japanese used to that repair broken pottery with liquid gold. And it makes it gorgeous and stronger and better than it was before. The whole philosophy behind it treats breakage 
and repair as part of the history of an object. Rather than something to disguise or to throw away. Not a throwaway, but something precious and valuable. And it becomes part of its story. But it's even stronger now that it's been repaired in this way. The same way as Christians, we're changed by the regeneration of the Spirit that I just discussed with you. I told you when the Lord comes in and He kicks Satan's spirit out, we have that spirit of iniquity. We all come with it. See little kids running around, they're all selfish. Oh, sweet little angel. No, they're not. <laughs> they, they come with a fallen nature. That's why it's our job to challenge Satan's claim on their life until they get old enough to understand for their own and reach out and ask Jesus to come and save them. Meanwhile, we have to protect them from them, from him. <laughs> right? But we're changed with the regeneration of our spirit and the renewing of our minds through the word of God. The spirit is already done, like I said, but now this soulish realm, the part we can discern with our natural senses, our mind, our will, our emotions, that's our personality, that's our soul. This body is just the vehicle we're cruising around in. But right now we're working on the soulish realm. The Spirit, if we have Jesus as our Savior, is already completely saved and in complete agreement with God. Never rebels against God. It's our mind that has the stinking thinking and been taught wrong and hears wrong and everything that goes in these gates. We have to overcome. We have to learn to challenge those things that disagree with this word. Amen? And reject them and learn to say... You know, if God said it, that settles it. I might not be there yet, but I agree with Him. And He's getting me there, you know. At least be that in, that far as a Christian. I know Christians that if, if there's a disagreement, you say, well, what's the Word say? Let, you know, they don't want to hear it. They don't care. Their minds are made up. That, that, that person is carnal. And they, that shouldn't be how it is with Christians. You should want to know what God says. And you might hear the truth and you say, okay, well, I'm going to need a minute on that one. You know? I might need a week, you know, whatever. But at least you want to agree with God. That's, I mean, that's, that should be a thing, a real thing. You know? We're changed, though. And so we're not the same as we used to be. We're, the Christian is, is truly something splendid. It's not a natural, you're not a natural person. You're not a natural man. You're not a natural woman. You might see the evidence of the journey that we've all taken, each of us a different path in this life to get to where we are now. But I can, because I can look at somebody and I mean, there's somebody that's raised in church and with a loving family and and, and wealthy or, you know, all the wonderful things. And they're just wonderful, sweet person. Just like, come on, you're awesome. And then there's others of us who lived for the devil for most of our lives. And there are scars from that. There's, there's visible things that you can still see on that person that reflect from the journey that they've been on to get to where they are now. But the breakage and the cracks and the 
things that they've been through now only become part of the history of that person because now they're divine, supernatural, a child of God, something valuable and precious and strong, whether they know it or not. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that we can know God. Ephesians 5.10 says, Find out what pleases God. I love that little scripture because just by saying that, it shows that we can know Him and know what He's like and know what He wants. Jeremiah 29.11 and 12 says, you know, it's the scripture that starts out with the part that everybody loves. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But then it goes on in the next verse to say, you will... Come and pray to me and seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's a promise from the Lord. And I've 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 held him good to that one. And I found him when I when I sought him. You know, one day I remember shortly after our real conversion, you know, my wife and I tell everybody this story. It's in our book my book that I wrote that uh, that we thought we were Christians all our lives and we found out we weren't it scared us to death <laughs> but right after that real conversion I was at a gas pump one day and I was still broken and confused and trying to absorb all this and get it all figured out and the devil was still trying to lie to us and I was looking into a beautiful sunset pumping gas and I just Tears began to come down my eyes and I just said, I'm seeking you, Lord. I was thinking about that scripture. And it's like somebody tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around 180 degrees and there was the most beautiful rainbow from end to end like I seldom had ever seen in my life. And I knew it was him, you know. Second Corinthians 3.18 goes on about that transformation that Romans 12.2 talks about. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. As we allow, as we read this book and allow it to read us, we're being transformed and transformed into the image of Christ because He is the Word made flesh. This is Him. This Word is alive and active. That's why you can read a scripture a thousand times and then read it one morning and it has a whole new meaning for you. It's applying to that particular day, that instance. Being transformed into the image of God from one image to the next, one, one, one day to the next. This word transformed that's used in Romans 12.2 and 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the same word that they used when uh, Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. When he became spiritual, they saw the spiritual Jesus. They saw him as who he truly was. The veil was pulled back and he, he began to shine and glow with the Spirit of God. 
but it's the same word that, that it's called, in the Greek, it's metamorpho, which is the word we use for metamorphosis. And it's the same thing like with a butterfly. It comes from a caterpillar. That's, that's, that's how it is with the Christian life. We can't transform ourselves, but we can be transformed, can't we? We need, we need God. But we can cooperate with the Lord during the process of transformation so that it will have its way and, and we can complete the journey with God and be all that He wants us to be. There's a lot of correlations. I remember, I remember when I was a little boy, I had a, a, a caterpillar and I had heard that they become butterflies. And I kept it for a couple of days in a little shed that we had out back and it didn't happen. Went and looked again, it didn't happen. Maybe the second or third day I got impatient and I said, well, I'll speed up the process. <laughs> and I smashed it. <laughs> well, it didn't turn into a butterfly. I'm sorry I did that. It didn't take me long to realize that it was a mistake too. And it wasn't going to happened like I wanted because for that transformation to take place that caterpillar needed to continue to live and to feed to eat and drink right a, a, a caterpillar will generally eat just one type of leaf its entire life until that transformation takes place it's the same with a Christian you know that 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 that, that caterpillar, he doesn't, he doesn't transform into a butterfly by putting on a butterfly costume <laughs> or, or trying to be good enough to become a butterfly or practice. You know, No, it happens. Everything that is required for him to become that butterfly is already within him, isn't it? The same with the Christian. We don't have to try to earn a relationship with God. We don't have to try to be saved. We, we have received that gift by faith. Now the grace of God is working in us. This salvation. And all we have to do is continue to feed. Just like the caterpillar. On the, the manna. The food from heaven. The manna which is the word of God. Which is Christ himself. And to drink. Of the word of God. The spiritual. The spiritual water. Of the word. As we. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead us on this journey through this life to our final destination with our heavenly bridegroom. Amen. Amen. We just continue to call on his name and thank him and sing to him and pray to him in our spirit. And just love him and just let him love on us and become more and more of what he's created us to be as we shed off all the old Stinking thinking and unbelief and doubt and worry. Jesus on that faithful night in John 14, 27 said, Peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. I'm not going to take it back. And then there's our part. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's always a relationship. There's always something on our part. Just like any relationship. It's a two-way street. We have to protect our hearts, keep it from unforgiveness, 
bitterness, worry, and fear because those things are counterproductive. And what becomes like a spiritual tug-of-war against the faith and the things that we're trying to receive that have already been provided by grace. Amen? We're beautiful people. We're, we're not like we used to be if we have Jesus. What we need to do is allow that transformation to, to take effect and to feed on the proper nutrients, which is the, the Word of God, and, and, um, and grow. And, you know, as I talk about faith all the time as like a muscle that you need to exercise to strengthen it. It works that way with all the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things are already in you. Full-blown and full-grown in that born-again Spirit. But for them to, to, to work them out, to exercise them is how you strengthen them in this, in this natural life. In your soulish realm so that you can... Walk in them in greater and greater effectiveness. You can grow in, in, in love and peace and, and all these things that are already in you. But the way that you grow in them is strengthening them by practice. You know. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you, Lord, for this, this word. We thank you for your love and grace for teaching us about who we are in you and what we have. We thank you, Lord, that this transformation is taking place and that we will cooperate with you and grow closer to you by getting to know you better through your word, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, learning to, partic to participate, cooperate with the spiritual laws that you have in place for our benefit so that we may receive from you in greater and greater measure. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.